my my experience with Avatar was I watched it once when I was a kid and no one else liked it, so I was ridiculed for it. And then in college, <gasps> I found out that apparently everyone else loves it. I'm like, where the hell were you assholes my whole life? Um, <laughs> where did you live? So what, it, what, 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 disgust? Where I was what, what in hell is where I was, where no one else liked <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender. That's where I yeah, was for the geez. first, you know, 20 years of my life. Hello, everybody. I am Blue. I am joined by Red. Hello. We've got our uh, editor and podcast producer, Indigo, lurking around in the shadows. And today we are joined by Hello Future Me, a.k.a. our best bud, Tim. Hello! Woo! Hey. I'm so happy to be here. It's For awesome. Our first guest episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Um, today we've got some uh, some fun stuff to talk about. In addition to having a chat with our pal Tim, we've got uh, two new videos from us. Uh, we have uh, my video on History of Wales and Red's Halloween special on the Wild Hunt, um, which will be great. So um, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about uh, on this episode. Yeah. How's everybody doing this th- this past month that we had this last week? Anyone anyone sleep? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just, just, just me. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Funny story about that. As, uh, as I've mentioned, uh, my sleep schedule is already about eh, eight hours offset from the average, uh, which meant uh, there were a lot of fun developments that happened very late at night uh, that I was functionally alone for. <laughs> Nobody I knew was awake for me to talk to them about it. I was like, oh boy, a lot of interesting political developments happening. I'm just gonna process these by myself for the cold unfeeling void of the next six hours and then next morning everyone would be like wow so much news happened and i'm like tell me about it so that was my experience that was my time this is this is why you have a friend in new zealand because i am always awake when you're when when everyone else is meant to be asleep it's it's the pain of it's like i can't do anything with anyone in 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 in, uh, america most of the time so here i am yeah we're going to have to do some 4 a.m. crossovers in the future. <laughs> Revolutionize the industry. Exactly. I, Tim, the thing that's funny about, like, like when we, like, you know, make times for, like, streams and, and calls like this and whatnot is that adjusting for the time change is very different from, like, usual time change adjustments. Like, in Europe, it's like, okay, they're, like, six hours ahead. That's fine. It's just later in the day. With Australia, it's, like, 12 hours completely offset, or sometimes it's 14, <laughs> um, depending on where in Australia they are. But Australia's with New Zealand, big. it's, like, 16 hours ahead. So the way that I've made it work in my brain is that for New Zealand, it is earlier in the day tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. And that's how I've kept my brain straight through it. Yeah, how's Monday treating you? (laughs) That's, it's the start of the week. Uh, Actually, you know, shockingly, the apocalypse has come. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, you haven't got long before it hits you guys, but uh, meteorites are currently falling from the sky. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, Drag. there's no better way I'd spend our time before the apocalypse than uh, and having another grand old episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Uh, um, Mondays, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The podcast releases on Wednesdays. Oh, dang it! <laughs> Don't spoil the joke! <laughs> Don't let them know that there's a lag time between when we, when we produce this and when it goes live. Oh, we pulled behind <laughs> the curtain and now they all know! Just yanked off the curtain and it's Cleo just like pulling on some levers. <laughs> Pay no attention to the kitty behind the curtain. You guys are just puppets. <laughs> Cleo has been so much better behaved than than last time we recorded a podcast episode. She's been letting us sleep. She's she's started meowing at us when we say the names of certain states that were taking a very long time to report their counts. <laughs> like she knows Nevada and Pennsylvania <laughs> by name now. Oh my god. <laughs> 
That's so. That's oh my gosh. We're getting a new cat, by the way. We're getting a stray oh. who's eight <gasps> years old. Oh, that's Yay. amazing. So, Tim, yeah. you have you have two cats. You have Bilbo and Elfie, correct? No, okay. They are my mum's pets, and I have oh. since moved out of the house. Oh, They're just okay. ones that I sort of monopolized for the channel gains. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw the video a little while <laughs> ago. Cloud. Like, meet the cats. I'm like, ah, oh, the cats. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. It's so just for the, it's just for the clouds. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so a, a, a new cat. This is exciting. Yeah, well, we were, we were just like, we wanted to get like a uh, an older cat just for a bunch of reasons. And this one is, is like, it was a stray that they found and they don't know its past really, but apparently it's really cuddly and friendly and we're, we're considering calling it either Mochi or Momo. Ooh, both good options. I think, I think for the brand, there, there's one that you got to go with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, you went with Clio, which is clearly, yeah, no, no, you know, I mean, brand. yeah, yeah. This, it's completely on brand. It's all about the brand. Brand or nothing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> what would you call a pit? Like, do, do you have a pit, Red? Sadly, no. Uh, I will in the future. I, I've made this promise to myself, but right now it is unfortunately not practical. But if I do get a dog, the first one I'm getting is going to be named Bark Anthony. <laughs> yes. Every once in a while, when I when I hear from from Red when she's on family trips, it's like, okay, so my aunt has has this dog, and she's very cute, and she fell asleep on my lap, and now I can't move for the next six hours because it's the cutest dog, and I wouldn't dare to wake them. <laughs> yeah. In my extended family, there is a King Charles Spaniel. Uh, when I first met her, she was a puppy roughly the size of an actual hot dog. She has since grown to roughly the size of two actual hot dogs. She is amazing. Wow. She hates my belt loops for some reason. She will furiously savage them whenever I visit, and I love her so much. So that's my pet experience. I just live oh. vicariously through the pets of my relatives and friends. Yep. So, so Tim, on the subject of of, of the Avatar memes, um, uh, for ha. those of, of of our of our channel viewers uh, who are not yet aware, tell us a little bit about about the videos you make, and and for for anyone who doesn't know, to to introduce yourself. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, so my my not to put you on the spot. <laughs> No, Sorry. no. My, my standard my standard response is that um, I, I try my best to be an educational channel that talks about writing and world building with a particular edge towards sci-fi and fantasy, and I have a particular love for Avatar, uh, The Last mm. Airbender, which of course you've heard Red talk about because it's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, d should I should I mention the video that you guys appeared in? Like you totally know, now? Yeah. 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 Why not? Well, I did a recent. Yeah, good stuff. I, I I did a recent video. Which is basically, I wanted to do something different to what everyone else is doing, which was talking about, you know, ever since Avatar came out on Netflix, like, everyone's talking about it now. And I was like, there's a lot of people out there who are talking about just standard Avatar lore. Like, hey, here's the life of whatever. I wanted to do some Avatar lore from an in-universe perspective. So I did a Fire Nation Republic looking back on its past during the Hundred Year War and talking about, like, you know, the Air Nomad genocide and, like, how did our country come to do this and how did we come to lead such a terrible war? And uh, Red and Blue were the awesome students who, who were incredibly attentive uh, in, in that. Uh, and that was so cool because everyone, everyone really liked it. They were all like, hey, hey, it's them! Because basically you guys have all of my subscribers and more. <laughs> I liked how the comments noticed uh, the the cute little pun in our uh, in our in video names. Yes, uh, yes, I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, 
What's funny is I noticed that and I told Blue about that too. And he was like, wait, shit, really? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you need to I, watch more anime, my friend. I, the only Japanese that I know is Sore wa Dokana, and that's it. Yeah. So that, <laughs> and that's from me too. What that's from that season zero conversation. Yeah, it means, anyway, but yeah. Oh, I, other, I don't know about that. The other fun thing is that you had, had two other students who didn't have speaking lines, but you had uh, Daniel Green and Tail Foundry in the class as well. Yes, yes, I did. But I, I clearly did Daniel Green a disservice because everyone thought he was some green-haired guy from anime. Some Oh no. I, I don't know, but there's like a million anime characters. Yeah, that out doesn't there narrow it down. Oh, you to really like, get the essence of Daniel Green, you should have given him a sword in class and then it would have been, oh that that's Daniel Green. No, <laughs> no, no, I has assure a you for a microphone. I I assure you that would not have helped with the misidentification <laughs> as a green haired anime dude. Yeah. It yeah. would be like, hey, yeah, yeah. Zoro from One Piece only has one sword in this video. What's up with that? <laughs> Actually, Fair the enough, real yeah. confusing thing is that, like, you, no one knows who the main character's gonna be in that video because you've got someone with green, red, and blue hair. Like, how, <laughs> yeah, how are you meant to know in that? <laughs> they have to Spot fight to the, the death for who gets protagonist rights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's sitting near the window, wistfully looking outside? That's how you get them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that was a really fun video, and we were reading through the scripts, and, you know, I my, my experience with Avatar was I watched it once when I was a kid, and no one else liked it, so I was ridiculed for it. And then in college, what? I found out that apparently everyone else loves it. I'm like, where the hell were you assholes my whole life? Um, <laughs> where did you live? What, it, what, what, disgusting. Where what, I was in hell did is you where go? I was, where no one else liked <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender. That's where I yeah, was for the geez. first, you know, 20 years of my life. Um, but then in college, <laughs> like, all my friends are like, this is, like, the best thing ever. And I'm like, wait, what? So then, like, I rewatched it, um, like, in the end and, and right after I got out of college. And I'm like, oh, my God, this show's so good. Because I had, like, secondhand experience from, from Year in Red's videos of, like, I, I get my fix of Avatar content, like, once a week. And then going back to the show is, like shit, this is a really good show, guys. Like, yeah, man. Does everyone else know about this, too? Um, <laughs> so getting, like, the insights into the world building with the uh, with the Fire Nation history video and then more recently with Zuko alone, um, the world building video on that you did last week was really, really cool because I, I never even realized, like, oh, when he's riding on the, the fucking chocobo through the, uh, through the field of, of battle where there's all these, like, earth, you know, kingdom projectiles littering the ground, I'm like, oh, that is really good environmental storytelling. Holy yeah. crap. Mm. So, yeah. Um, lavishing praise uh, on your videos as they so rightly <laughs> That's deserve. That's very kind. So, We're not yeah. worthy. Yeah. But yeah. Um, in addition to that, um, Red, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the special that you had, um, not last week, but the week before, on uh, The Wild Hunt. I certainly will, because as you uh, volunteered right before we started recording, apparently you haven't watched it yet. So. Yeah, I, I thought I did. And then when you realized, like, when we were talking, like, okay, today we're going to be talking about Whales and the Wild Hunt. I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't watched it yet. I mean, I read the script. I just, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to watch it later. Yeah, and then I, I totally didn't. <laughs> so I'm I've a bad it. friend. Wow. So I'm just wow. going to casually sit yeah, this uh, one I out. I guess I'll just <laughs> give you the quick rundown. Uh, yeah, so... um. The, uh, the Halloween special this year, I, uh, I basically decided to do something a little bit different than past years. Like, in past years, I, I try and cover, you know, great seminal works of horror fiction that have just shaped the genre. Because, you know, horror is a, is a field that draws strongly on itself, basically. It, it, it's not really... A lot of people do create new horror monsters, but so much of it is based on evoking, like, old stuff. You know, the, the reason why we call... Uh, the, the genre of cosmic eldritch horror, the Lovecraftian horror, is because he kind of did it first and most loudly. So horror mostly ends up kind of aruborosing itself, eating its own tail, and just re reproducing the same general concept over and over again. So in previous years, I've been like, okay, let's go back. Let, let's actually go to where people were, like, really, really original about this. Let's talk about how they did vampires in the first place. Let's talk about what the hell the whole deal with Frankenstein was. Let, let's just go as far back as I can. Um... 
And then this year I was like, I don't know, I'm kind of running out. Like, it's, uh, I mean, there's other stuff, but it's not as influential. It's not as like big name. I, I don't know. And then I, I said in the video, I was going to try doing the Count of Monte Cristo. And I spent like a full year and a half trying to read through it and script about it. And I'm halfway through the book and I have like 14 pages of notes and it's just not, it's just not working. It's not working in time for this year. So I'm like, okay, okay, what else can I do? Well, you know, I've already been doing these myth deep dives. I've already been going as far back as I can in other areas. Let's, let's explore some, like, some Halloween-y concepts, some actual myths rather than just, you know, fiction and, and lore. And uh, that's how I stumbled across the idea of covering The Wild Hunt, uh, because it's just this, um, it's probably the spookiest folklore concept I could think of. Uh, it's, it's whole deal, uh, for those of you in the audience who haven't watched the video, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that it's, uh, it's basically this, um, this fairly widespread folklore motif, although it, it varies a lot from region to region. It's more like it's a very recurrent concept, uh, essentially explaining away certain spooky nighttime events, uh, mostly in the weather department, as uh, essentially an invisible uh, storm of ghosts riding across the sky, as it were, uh, in an eternal hunt of the wild variety. And specific variants, uh, th there's a lot of regional variants, there's a lot of specifics, sometimes they're, they're specifically ghosts, sometimes they're demons, sometimes they're fey. It's very interesting. Um, and uh, part of the uh, difficulty I ran into is that uh, someone else had already done the work compiling the, uh, the comparative mythology angle, but it was Jacob Grimm, and he was doing it in the 1800s, and he was maybe doing it a little, uh, a little too much. Um, there's this thing in comparative mythology where sometimes people will spot a pattern, and then they'll start seeing it everywhere, and it basically just turns into a conspiracy theory, like full-on like corkboard and thumbtacks and stuff situation. <laughs> and uh, Jacob Grimm kind of skirted the edge of that at, at best, like... Everything was some ancient pre-Norse pagan god or goddess to him. Uh, so he would always, like, go through and find the threads and be like, oh, well, this one has, has uh, themes of winter, and this one has other themes of winter, and I, I believe that means that it's a, a pre-Norse winter goddess. And it's like, well, what's your evidence for this? Well, folklore has a lot of women in them, and uh, some of them have personality traits in common. So they're probably all based on one lady. And it's like, okay, Grim, all right, that's just maybe. We can't know, but okay, fine. So yeah, uh, it was just a, it was a very interesting kind of thing to dive into. Go ahead. Sorry. As I understand it, this is another example of those like, you know, oh wait, it's all Odin? Always has been <laughs> things with the, with the, you know, European mythology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, most, uh, obviously the wild hunt as a recurrent concept uh, is not entirely Odin. But a lot of it is Odin. Uh, parts of the, uh, parts of Europe call it Odin's hunt. Parts of the folklore specifically refer to the Huntmaster as Odin. Uh, so yeah, if it's not Odin, it's probably some variant of Odin. Somebody in the comments actually suggested that even the female Huntmistresses were based on Odin somehow, which is, um, I mean, it's not the craziest thing in the world. Norse mythology had its fair share of gender bending, but uh, I, it's just interesting. I think it's just a really interesting and sufficiently mysterious concept to explore that like, I, I didn't end up explaining everything away and spoiling the mystery, which I think was... Uh, important in maintaining that spooky Halloween vibe in an otherwise somewhat unhalloween -y year, you know? Yeah. That sounds yeah. really cool. I can't wait to watch the video. Yeah, I bet you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I really appreciate uh, the visuals, gosh. and I did a lot of work on the music. It's just I've kind of poured my heart and soul into this, and just mean a lot. I actually it, thought the visuals know? on this one were really good. Like, I was just like, oh, there's like a, there's like a real stylistic <laughs> element. I mean, you're always stylistic. You, you are all style. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but this one was just like, it was just like, oh, it's really cool. I, actually, I like the designs on these people. I remember, Red, when you were sending me some of the visuals that you had, I'm like, we can make this spookier, add more blue glow. And then we, we, we like with, with the big, the, what ended up being the thumbnail image for like the giant ghost tornado is like, no, 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 we can push this, make it spookier. We, we can up the yeah. spook factor on this. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that was a super cool video. So anyway, uh, a video that I I can say that I have watched this week because I made it uh, was uh, my, my history video of Wales, which um, we usually, when we take requests for, for videos, it, we have a mechanism for this. It's it's through our, our Patreon where um, longtime, you know, uh, viewers who have, you know, a lifetime contribution over a certain amount of, uh, of money get to, you know, request uh, a topic for a video um, and then we, we do it. So so um, we don't usually just take requests like, you know, from from wherever, because obviously we'd be here for infinity years if that was the case, because yep. there's so much great stuff to talk about. It's just a matter of figuring out when to do it. So I did my, my videos on, on Scotland, uh, on Ireland, uh, on England under duress. Uh, and then after the England video went out, I got an email, no subject line, that said, well, now you have to do a video on Wales or it's just discrimination. And then I <laughs> thought, yeah, nope, yep. That, that checks out. Okay, so then yeah. I, I scheduled in a video for Wales, and then a couple months, you know, several months later, I ended up doing it. So um, I, I felt bad because in some of my earlier videos, I, I talked about, you know, the three big countries, Scotland, <laughs> Ireland, and England, and look at me, you know, leaving Wales in the dust. So now I, I, I corrected my mistake. I, I, I gave Wales the respect they deserved with a nice, nice full deep dive talking about, um, you know, their long history and, and the Celtic roots, which often get, you know, left out or, or truncated in, in looks at, at at the history of the country because it's like, oh, okay, you know, uh, so the Romans left, you know, what happened then? But, you know, the Romans don't leave until like the halfway point of the video um, mm. or it, third halfway. But I really want to talk about the, like the origins of it and like what Wales did differently from the other three and that they were holding on to this specific culture in this, you know, unique way for so long that got them the language and the, all the folklore and storytelling and the, the historical epics, like all the King Arthur stuff and everything like that. So, you know, so much of the, the, the ancient medieval culture that we think of when we think of, you know, Britain and Ireland has, you know, a, a basis in, you know, in Welsh, uh, in, in their literature and their culture and that. So I wanted to, to kind of show it off and, and give it the appreciation, uh, it deserves, um, um, and in talking about it on, on the Discord after the video went up in, in the new video discussion, um, I, I came to the conclusion that I think has been concluded many other times before, which is that uh, Wales is, or Middle Earth is just Wales with more window dressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, folklorically, like, not to completely derail from the actual history to like, well, when I read the Mabinogian, but like, Wales has just some of the, the richest, like, mythology oh, yeah. and, and the richest feeling uh, folklore. There are some um, there are some folklores that make the world feel so alive with magic, mm -hmm. uh, and Wales definitely kind of cranks that up to eleven. Yeah. And I think it produces. Well, I mean, you know, whenever I look up like English folklore, it's really just Welsh folklore that England like took. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's all Wales. You know, not not to be the oh, it's all Odin always has, but it's all Wales. Yeah, most of it. Uh, yeah. You know, some of it comes from other places, but if if it feels like English folklore, it's it's Welsh. Sorry, 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 England. <laughs> you have never had an original idea except colonialism, and even that you Ooh. took from the Romans. Um, if you if you actually think about it, you know, ignoring ignoring Wales uh, is actually probably kind of like a meta better representation of Welsh history. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's yeah. discrimination, you know, it's like you actually, it's, it's you embracing how they've been treated throughout history. I mean, that's the yeah. thing is I, I described it in, at one point in my video was, was Wales was England's 
oldest and most successful instance of colonialism because everyone forgot they did it. It was yep. the ultimate goal of like, make this place seem like Us. a part of the other place where the first place identity is just subsumed, where, you know, people think, you know, England, Scotland, Ireland. Wales mm -hmm. doesn't even factor into a lot of people's minds. It's, it's, it's colonialism on stealth mode, absolutely. So the fact that, you know, I, you know, even a semi-competent historian could be so so crass as to just, you know, brush off Wales in my first three videos shows how thorough of a job the English did, um, you know, up until yeah. uh, up until fairly recently with, uh, what, with, with devolution and all that and them getting their own uh, parliament. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad I was able to kind of uh, correct some of the, uh, uh, the misconceptions, i.e. that Wales is not a thing that exists. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the response was, was really positive. And I always love the videos that, that elicit the comments of like, oh, you know, I'm from this place. And it was so cool to see it, you know, being talked about and represented. That's always like the yep. most fun comments to get. So I, yeah. I can tell you as someone from a tiny country that no one ever <laughs> sees, whenever we get mentioned anywhere, except on Fox News two weeks ago, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> But everybody loves New Zealand because that's where they filmed Lord of the Rings, right? Everyone yeah. gets everyone in New Zealand gets a ping on their phone whenever some American or like British <laughs> or European news station mentions this. Like, oh shit, what are they saying now? Yeah. Oh, God. We've got that Is thing, it... you know, what, what's the Google ping? Like you can get you can see if you get like your name searched or something. Google I don't know. Alert, cool. yeah. Yeah. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We don't actually have that. I'm just Oh. <laughs> Well, that's, I guess that shows what America's like because I didn't even bat an eye at that idea. I'm like, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I think there is some kind of news alert thing you can get if something like pops up, but it's yeah. not if somebody Googles your name, you get an email. <laughs> America. That would be terrifying. Anyway, ah, uh, so yeah, with, with our most recent videos um, uh, talked about, uh, we've got uh, a handful of announcements to, to discuss. First off is uh, coming up later in the month, we have a, a special sale going on um, from our shop over on Crowdmade. Uh, for those of you who missed your chance to get our uh, Ares uh, and Hermes and Artemis and Apollo pins, which if you, you haven't seen them, oh man, they're they're so good. They're so fun. They're it's so just good. cute little pins and they're great. Um, we ran them yeah. on a limited sale, but um, for the week of Black Friday, 23rd to 30th, Crowdmade will be running a big old sale. We don't know what the numbers are yet, but it's going to be a sale. Um, yep. And we will be um, restocking a um, thousand of our Artemis and Apollo pins, 500 of our Ares and Hermes pins. And if you missed your chance, that'll be the time. They'll be up until they sell out. Uh, but also we have two really cool new mugs uh, that we are super jazzed about. They're, um, they're red and blue accent mugs. I wish I could show you them right now. Um, but hmm. the, stick around for more on those. Those are going to be really cool. And then that sale is going to be going on for, for the second to last week. No, last week of, of um, November. Yeah, 23rd um, to 30th. Fun. But then, Tim, you have an announcement too as well, right? Yeah. I do. Uh, I actually am doing a 24-hour charity live stream for the Child Rescue Coalition, which is trying to dismantle the uh, terrible, very, very bad uh, illegal sex trade involving minors, uh, particularly within the United States. That's on December 4th, so just under a month from now, uh, and it'll be going for 24 hours. As said, I'll be playing Breath of the Wild for the first time for the entire time, yes. hoping to complete it, but a Apparently you can't do oh, it in 24 oh, hours. No. Oh, you absolutely like, can. I <laughs> absolutely mean, it's just not. a matter of like, no, it's about the speed running strats, man. Well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're like, you know, two hour, I've... you know, beating Ganon in your boxer short speed runs, yeah. but. You just got a paraglide I, in there with a torch it. and beat him over the head with it. I, my aim is just to, to like, uh, get a horse. That's what I want. I want to glide okay. and I want a horse. Uh, we'll, we'll and we can that. Yeah. It's going yeah. to happen. Yeah. So we will you be on the stream. You guys might have to help um, me. We'll be, we'll you be providing some moral support. 
Yeah, no, we will yeah. absolutely be helping you. We we did a Dragon Rush stream earlier this year where we tried to <laughs> see all three I of the mean, dragons. Let's uh, let's not let's not mischaracterize that stream. We attempted a Dragon Rush stream. We completed it. It just took a second stream. So uh, Red, don't get ahead of me. My point was we can sympathize <laughs> with being new and inexperienced in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> oh, we Look, sure as can. long as it doesn't require like crafting, I'm good because I hate crafting mechanics. How are you on cooking? Does, yeah, does cooking count? <laughs> uh, like, do I, is, is it that important? Yes. I mean, eating food to live is kind of important. <laughs> it depends on whether you're going anywhere cold, because you need either a coat or spicy food, or you will die. Yeah. Is it like your health just ticks down slowly? Yeah. yeah Basically, yeah. if you're oh, in the okay. wrong environment wearing the wrong clothing, your health will just drain and drain. And you can keep yourself going by just, like, noshing on baked apples if you can. But, uh... <laughs> it's it's better and more efficient to just buy a coat, you know? Yeah, so anyway, right, for okay. all this and more, you're going to want to tune into Tim's stream. We will be uh, tweeting in community tab, posting about it when the time comes. So yep. um, December uh, 4th and 5th, uh, mark your calendars and get excited. Um, is there anything Thank else you. that we have to announce? Those are the two big ones, but I don't, I think, I think we're good. Yeah, I, I think we're good. I think we're good. Welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We're going to get to our usual questions from Discord in just a minute, but since we are lucky enough to have the lovely, lovely Tim on this episode, we've got a few questions from Red and Blue for him. So, Blue, if you want to kick that off for us. Uh, yeah, so a uh, fairly, you know, standard question in, in the YouTube space is, uh, how did you get started doing what you're doing with the channel? And, you know, why did you start making the content that you in particular create? Okay, so I haven't... Normally you'd give, like, a standard answer. You've been asked this a million times before. So I'm going to skip over the standard answer of, oh, I like education, blah, 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 blah. I have an English degree. And I took a lot of creative writing classes. And they were totally useless. And <laughs> yeah. I... Sort of had a slight vendetta. I bunked my entire creative writing classes uh, and my my creative writing like third year class because I was like, this is useless. I'm not learning anything here. I I learned the definition of one term, which was a frame story. I didn't know what that meant. But other than that, basically everything else I knew. To explain how terrible this is, we were given an assignment of basically write a three-act structure, and I decided, okay, I'm going to do the most boring, uninteresting, stupid thing. I, I'm not even going to bother. I wrote, I wrote it up, and then she asked me to use it as, like, an example for future years. After that, I was gone. Wow. I was gone. I was like, I'm not, Whoa. yeah. Oof. So I was like, I was like, people are here to learn creative writing stuff. What, what do people actually want to know? What are people actually interested in learning about? And that is basically where my, my bread and butter series on writing and world building, you know, came from. I was like, this is, people want to learn about how do you write a first chapter, you know, not the stuff I was learning there. So I was like... I can make it free, so you're not paying, you know, thousands of dollars at college. I can make it interesting and funny, and, uh, you know, I can. I think I can better target this sort of stuff uh, than than what I was learning at class. So yeah, that's that's the genesis of like the, the the core of my channel, really. That's beautiful. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I've never had a creative writing class that actually taught me how to creatively write because the contradiction yeah. is in the name. It's a creative writing class, and then they teach you how to write formulaically, like. It needs a three-act mm -hmm. structure, yeah, and your protagonist absolutely. must have these traits. But you gotta be creative about it! Yeah. It's it's the same reason that, like, analytical English classes can suffer so much, because it's like, okay, we're all 
reading this one book and we're going to lifelessly dissect it to find out just like on paper the most like bland, uninteresting details of this on like the meaning of the color of the curtains. I don't know, that's like a common one to throw out, but when you throw a bunch of people in a room and ask them to just dissect a piece of media, you're going to get fairly, you know, cookie cutter answers that that lack a lot of depth. Whereas if you, you know, kind of flip the question on its head as is with trope talks, as with writing and world building, where it's mm. like, we want to mm. talk about this thing. Like, let's talk about, you know, chosen ones, or let's talk about, you know, evil empires. Like, how does that work in media? And how do different pieces of media do that thing? And I think that that's part of why there's, there's a lot of overlap between our channels, because on writing and world building and trope talks come at the the question of, you know, the media and, and writing, and it's from a similar angle of the exact opposite way that it's often often handled in class, which I think is, yep. you know, from my perspective, part of why I enjoy them so much. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to yeah. derail off into my own axe to grind here, but uh, I think there's a degree <laughs> to which the uh, English classes also suffer from the fact that everything you have to cover has this aura of, like, forced respectability about it. Like, you gotta discuss Shakespeare. And Shakespeare's a good writer. That doesn't bother me as much, but it's like, you gotta discuss Great Gatsby. You gotta discuss Of Mice and Men. All these things that are, like, great seminal classic works of English literature. And it's like, right, but most of the media that these people are gonna be dealing with is not this. It's mostly yeah. like, at yeah. this point, TV and movies and, you know, books that were written in the last like 40 years, I don't know. And and I think that's what really bothers me is this like, how scared uh, the, the, um, the academics space is of acknowledging that there's fun writing and it's mm -hmm. just as writing-y as serious, boring, yeah. old white people writing, you know? Yeah. Like, Scared or arrogant, on, though, a lot of the yes. time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was registering it as fear of being perceived as unprofessional, which is just mm -hmm. arrogance flipped on its head, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it's like, if you can sit down and be like, here's why Kung Fu Pandas 1 and 2 are the best movies ever made, it's like, that, that's not like a, I mean, okay, I was about to say that's not a controversial hot take. Hot take, <laughs> hashtag hot take. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, you can just point out, like, here's why all the themes are amazing. Here's why the, the story of, of self-acceptance and, and creating a nurturing environment for a student to grow based on their skill set. Here's why this is such an interesting story. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all there in the movie. I rewatched these, like, two nights ago. It's fresh in my mind. Uh, I can tell. But, but you know, <laughs> y you talk about that, and it's like, you couldn't put that in an English class, not because you'd be wrong or because you'd be doing a bad job analyzing it, but because it's a movie about a fucking kung fu panda. And they'd yeah. be like, oh, outrageous. Where's all the drama and, and uh, I don't know, the incest or something? Where's the guy who, who murders a lady and then feels bad about it? That's a vital part of any story. It's just like, ugh. I Honestly, it's I think it's, you know, it's... Uh, it's telling that sometimes in colleges you have like the fun class where you talk about a piece of media that's less than 50 years old. But like, <laughs> I think the fact that, that, you know, both of our channels are able to find so much content in a piece of media, like say, I don't know, off the top of my head, Avatar The Last Airbender is <laughs> hey. so, you know, informative about how much there is to learn from modern media, where in addition to yeah. like, you know, the characters, the story structure, the the world building, the animation, there, there's so much to, to pull out of it where, you know, you, you know, you guys can each make like a college class worth of, of videos just about this one show and talk about so many different mm -hmm. things. It's, you know, it's it's so frustrating that that so many educational institutions like refuse to 
have fun with their classes and and the things they talk about. Um, that's why I like really hated history for a long time because it was so yeah. dry and formulaic so and like you know bare bones where you weren't allowed to you know treat these people as people and no mm -hmm. one was allowed to talk about the fact that history is full of dumb shit. It's yeah. like no, it is. That's why it's interesting. <laughs> when you're not history hijinks plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all coming from you know the same fundamental perspective of like we have been done dirty by the way that these things have been taught in the past. So we're doing it ourselves to, to try yeah. and do it better. I mean, um, actively I'll engaging with a story. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it myself. Actively engaging yeah. with a story is always more interesting than sitting back and retreading the same tired conclusions that your yeah. English teacher has decided are the only acceptable ones. I'll tell you the exact moment that my faith in English classes broke. It's when I had a Shakespeare class and we were covering Taming of the Shrew Ugh. and my teacher would not let me point out how absolutely fucked up that book was. I was like, this relationship is a nightmare. This is horrifying. It's freaking me out reading it. And she's like, no, I, listen, I saw a production once where they added a scene at the end implying that the whole thing was like a, a scam being run by Petruchio and Kate together. And I was like, but that's not in the book. That doesn't make the book okay. That just means you read fanfic and you liked it. <laughs> she didn't like that very much. She didn't like any of the papers I wrote in that class because I was like, and here's why this is actually really upsetting. And uh, so you, when uh, when you have a class based on literary analysis, but the secret rule is you're not allowed to come to any conclusions that your teacher hasn't already come to. That basically means you're not actually allowed to analyze the work. You're just supposed to read your teacher's mind and write a paper that they'll agree with. And that is some horse shit. That's why I do the things I do, because it's more fun to draw your own conclusions and think about stuff. Absolutely. I, I cannot get into this now because we don't have time, but I can <laughs> totally one-up that story you just gave me with an even more horrifying story, which I'll tell you about another time. But oh, remind no. me to tell you. Next time <laughs> you're on the podcast, we'll, we'll holster that one for later. So, part two, uh, the question, thrilling sequel. Yeah. yeah is, um, what would you say is the hardest part of what you do? And, you know, what is the, the most difficult or, or taxing or time-consuming or complicated part of the, the production process? for you in a typical video. Recording. If we're dividing mm. it into just writing, recording, editing, then, I mean, I have an editor now, but I, when I did my editing, I, I did quite enjoy it. Recording, I hate, I, it's, I, I, I don't, I don't like having to, uh, you know, have this personality just always on camera and making it happen. It's exhausting sitting under yeah. hot lights and, yeah, no, I I don't like recording because it, it, it's yeah. the part where I yeah uh, I don't know I it's the part sympathize. that I feel like I yeah yeah for me I don't know it's if that's like, the same for you guys but yeah I I sit down to record you know a 10, 12 minute video and then two hours later I'm done and it's like why was that so complicated because every single line I have to get with you know the right intonation and mm -hmm. sometimes it even mm -hmm. still sounds like I'm dead on the inside when I'm reading these scripts but for me yeah I, I completely agree recording is is just so frustrating and I don't even have to record my own face so I, I have it easier by contrast it's it's always I, been so difficult for me to get that right that is I so just did four days oh really you different yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I don't really like recording on camera because, um, I mean, I, I don't hate it, uh, but, like, when we started this off, uh, when we started off the channel, I was extremely insecure about being seen by the internet because y you know how they get, you know how they do, uh, yeah. But since then, I've Awful. kind of, you know, I've, I've sort of exposure therapied my way through that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's still a bit of a mixed bag. But uh, but no, like a uh, like recording audio. Uh, I, I just 
I don't know. I really like it. I, I think the fundamental difference here is I got into this because I uh, I got really into the idea of voice acting because I, I had one of those moments where it, like I was watching a cartoon and it clicked that it's somebody's job to do that. They can just sit there and do that. And I was like, whoa, that sounds rad as fuck. So, you know, for... <laughs> For me, it's like, this is a thing that like sparked a little bit of like, oh wait, this is something I could be passionate about. So, you know, even if it is hard and annoying, um, sometimes like, sometimes I have days where I'm like, this line is not working. And then yeah. I listen back <laughs> to it and the first take was fine. And every take mm. after that was progressively worse. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, I, I, uh, I, I never particularly found the recording part to be unpleasant. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's one of the more vibrant bits of the uh, the process for me. The slog <laughs> is sitting down and drawing five hundred frames. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I I really admire you for doing that. Thanks. Yeah, it, it's it, just it, that you know I I love drawing and I do love drawing the the work that I do for these videos. But like if I if I'm doing something that I love, it tires me out faster. So like I'll I'll sit down mm. and I'll make like thirty seconds of video progress in five hours, and I'm like I I could probably sit here for another five hours and do another thirty seconds, but. I also might die, so maybe I should like yeah. get up and eat some food and like I don't know, move my body. Yeah, and, Red, yeah. Sometimes I get like text messages from you where you're like, "Oh, I'm go I'm gonna go, you know, do some recording," and then like an hour later, it's like, "Yeah, so I recorded two trope talks in a myth video." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. No, I mean, don't feel bad. It's just I, you know, uh, clearly you are approaching this much more from a perspective of, you know, voice acting where, you know, for Tim and I, it's like, all right, let's get this piece of shit done. Yeah, it's, it's a thing we have to do. I, yeah. 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 yeah, for me, like the part that I most enjoy is like, oh, today's a maps day. Great. I don't have to deal with words. I can listen to whatever I want. I just get oh, to yes. draw pretty doodles of what the Roman Empire looks like in two different points in time. Woo! Yeah. And yep. then there are the episodes where I have to draw... A map with a lot of different countries on it so like my my cold war video where i had to draw all of europe over the span of like 50 years that almost killed me uh Wait, you drew <laughs> those maps did you not use like a template or something so the way you that i do the, the maps is basically I, I i i get my my background template so i have like the blank map and you know marble textures and whatever and then it's a thing and then i i have like layers that i put on top of like oh this is a layer of you know um france in 1950 and then i'll like copy it kind of change it up slightly and like, oh, okay, here's France in, you know, 1967 or whatever. So I, I have a series of, of, of layers that I, like, copy and duplicate. And, and the problem is when two, like, nations bump up against each other, so I have to make the borders all nice and shiny. And that just takes forever, <laughs> especially when it's, like, the whole map is filled in with a bunch of different things because I have to get the colors right. And you see, like, over the course of my videos, all the color tones have been progressively less saturated because I realized <laughs> that the colors I used in my earlier maps hurt people's eyes. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, that I like map making because I can like know that I'm getting better at it and I get to make pretty maps at the end, but recording, oh boy, that sucks. I think the <laughs> yeah. audience should really recognize that you hand draw those country borders because every once in a while, like I'll see a video that you've done and it's great, but then I'll look at the comments and it'll just be someone being like, your outline of France left out the tiny village that I grew up in and I am personally <laughs> offended. And I'm like, he drew it by hand and your village is tiny. What are you talking about? <laughs> So. No, yeah, but anyway, um, yeah. sometimes I do make some goofs uh, and, and such is life. Sometimes, yeah. though, I, I do something right and then people think I'm wrong, but they're actually the ones who are wrong. And that makes me feel very vindicated. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, <laughs> next question would be um, aside from like, you know, your job and, you know, the content that you, you deal with, what is just something completely unrelated to all that that you really, really like? So this is not related, but... Uh, well, it, it is not related in the sense that nothing, it doesn't appear on my main channel at all, 
but uh, if you follow me on like other social media, and you know how like our our you know as YouTubers like your your personal life and your social media life and YouTube work life it all mixes. Oh yeah, it does in that degree. Yeah. But I adore board games. I have mm. like a wall high shelf, like massive of just board games and i get like expensive board games i have sunk <laughs> so much money into it and i i i i have about six of them i haven't even opened yet oh <laughs> uh yeah i i love oh, that's board games basically that's Beautiful. that's that's my yeah. life we red and i uh one of our of our longtime mutual friends uh from from high school uh for me yeah. much earlier than that has similarly a ginormous wall of board games and and cyan and i at our apartment have a couple like you know bins chocked full of board games and i think by most standards we would say that we have a lot but oh there's so much fun it's it's board games are so great do you have at least a recent favorite that you've been playing and enjoying recently because i know like saying an absolute favorite is almost an impossible ask yeah. no 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 there is an absolute favorite the, oh, okay. the best uh th so the current favorite is one called everdell and that's because it's very accessible you can learn it very easily uh and everyone who's played it recently you're basically a bunch of little forest critters trying to build the safest oh. happiest home before the winter comes and you collect cards to put in your city and then it th you build up a thing but my favorite one which you guys will probably appreciate you know how like a lot of board games are uh colonial board games like you're mm -hmm. building a, a colony and stuff yeah. like that it's the opposite mm -hmm. you oh. are an ancient spirit of the land stopping the colonial forces of the world coming to destroy the island you're defending the native inhabitants and, oh, and, yeah. and protecting the land it's called spirit island it's one of the most complicated spirit games we've ever played oh. but it is easily oh. one of the best games i yeah. have ever played you know That's i've actually cool i've seen hell. that in my local game shop and i, I really like the art but i'm like Oh, I don't need a new game right now. Sign and I have a rule where we can't buy a new board game until we've played the most recent one that we got. Um, <laughs> but that that sounds really, really cool. It um, does. One of my favorite games is, uh, and, and Red, I think, will know what I'm going to say, but we have you know a, a group of friends that we, we play board games with every, uh, every so often. We, we play it online through Tabletop Simulator, which is a janky but beautiful piece of, of, of software. Yeah. Um, I really like a game called Concordia, where you all play as merchants oh, in the yeah. Roman Empire. Just, That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's not. It's not like it's a competitive game, but it's not antagonistic. So obviously there there is a you know one winner, but it's just everyone like bopping around different little parts of the Roman Empire, like building storehouses and and selling like wine and cloth and so dyes you'd recommend. and tools. I, I would highly recommend Concordia because yeah. even if you don't win, you still feel like you built this like engine of like all these things and you always are thinking like 10 steps ahead of like, okay, so if I do this on this turn, then I can get a bunch of these resources. I can take that to the bank and then sell that and I can get this new card. And it's just, it's so much fun. Partially for me because the maps are beautiful. It's like, oh yeah, I, I want to like roll around, you know, the Italian peninsula and plop down storehouses on every single inch of the place. But it's so, so fun. And it's just like, it's a game about Rome that, you know, it isn't violent. You don't have to deal with either <laughs> killing people or being killed by barbarians. I do like Pandemic Fall of Rome. That's a fun one because it actually does a, <laughs> a unreasonably good job of simulating the thought processes behind, like, emperors and generals dealing with the fall of the empire. It is way better than it has any right to be. But Concordia is fun because it's just like, it's pleasant. Everyone has a great time. I love it. So that's... That's, that's I'll add that take. to my list. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one yeah. last question before we get on to our our, our Discord questions is um, a question from um, Cleo, uh, our, uh, my cat, uh, Cyan and my cat, who is uh, the OSPHR. She says, "What Good. is your strategy, Tim, when petting a cat? Do you go for the tummy rubs, or are you more of a head pats type of human?" 
I'd just like to thank Cleo for this question. Uh, it's a very important issue that, that, you know, we need to address. And, um, you know, it's important that we, we ask people these questions, that they're brought into the light. Uh, but <laughs> as someone who has basically always had cats, three cats, uh, and only till very recently has become catless, um, I... I the most important thing usually is letting the cat come to you and then usually start like usually most cats like like the back like along the spine often to the tail they love the little area before the tail usually most mm. cats don't like the belly and most cats don't like the paws usually but they're mm, always yeah. usually pretty good with the if you can if you can go for the back then you can usually go to the under the chin and oh yeah you yep. go to the under the chin you can maybe go to the chest and then after that maybe paws and if you're very lucky to the tummy yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, that, that that's a good strategy. It's important to have a game plan for Cleo. The way that it usually works is, you know, you, you have to you have to let Cleo approach, um, and then usually you start with the back. For Cleo, what she does is that if you if while you're petting her back, if you pushed ever so gently to one side or another she'll just like flop right over and it's funny because like her shoulders go first and then her, her her big old boot just like flops on the floor with a little thunk and then she does a big stretch and you can pat the belly um and that's always really really satisfying but what Cyan and i figured out fairly early on is that cleo loves head scratches and under the chin but if you do them both at the same time you can stun lock her so she doesn't move <laughs> she's stuck that's in amazing yeah that's beautiful no, like we can genuinely like for a solid like minute and a half just like head scratches and under the chin scratches and she's just like she's solid and 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 she is just loving every second of it so yeah um th there is a lot of important strategy to consider uh when when petting a cat it's a very important question and tim i'm glad you're able to to bring uh your your insight um in, into this very very deep uh and meaningful issue Yes. Um, yeah, well, pivoting so, from that very serious yeah. note, um, as you all know, the plague of incorrect pet cat petting, well, whatever, pet your cats, uh, <laughs> One more try? and how they want, no, we'll just keep it in, why not? <laughs> Director, can I get another take on that, please? <laughs> I've kept you guys messing up in so many times that I feel like it's only fair if I keep my mistakes mostly in me. as well. Uh, <laughs> mostly blue. That's valid. But we've got a few questions for... All three of you from our lovely, lovely Discord server, if you've got a question for the podcast, you can hop over to Ask OS Pod on Discord, drop a question in, that channel is always open, uh, and of course the rules are pinned on the channel, so if, if it's your first time there, be sure to go in, give those a read, drop your cue for a chance to be featured on our answer section. This first question comes from one of our patrons, if you're interested in joining the OSP Patreon, help support us, keep the lights on, keep the pod running. Head over to Patreon, there'll be a link in the description, and you'll have a chance to have your question be the first one featured on the podcast. This is from patron Lauren. I know I asked this on Red's Tumblr, but I feel like Blue may have some good insights on this, and Tim as well. How do you go about world building, as in making the actual world your story takes place in? The cities, forests, mountains, rivers, and such. Oh, right. Uh, before uh, before yeah. we get into this, because they did actually already ask me this question. Um, <laughs> this uh, basically, uh, for those wondering, uh, the, the Tumblr, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the channel. It's about the comic I've been making. Uh, uh, the asks are open so people oh, can Lord. ask me questions about it. And uh, somebody asked me, basically, it was this person, in fact, uh, asked me the world building question of how do you world build? And I was like, how do I answer this question without <laughs> writing a full book? Uh, so it ended up being a very lengthy post. Uh, basically, my, my approach is um, the first thing you need to establish is you, you need to understand the first principles of the world you're working on because that's going to determine all of the rules from then on. But 
you also need to be aware of the story you are working towards. Like, some people start from a first principle and then world build entirely out from there, and then, like, whatever world they get at the end, that's what they write the story in. But in my experience, most people who are world building start off with some idea of the story they want to tell. You know, like, even if it's just a couple cool moments they want to include. So it's like, if you're, if you're world building, but you know at some point you need, like, a dramatic sword fight in an ice castle, then you're going to need swords, and you're going to need somewhere on the planet cold enough for an ice castle or magic. You're going to need magic. So, you know, like you're kind of building up from the ground and down from the plot at the same time. And the world you get is where it intersects in the middle. But uh, that's the broad strokes answer because, you know, getting more specific starts getting into, you know, more more specific territory rather than addressing the question itself. Um, there is a really great channel if you want to know more about this. It's called Hello Future Me. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a series on this. It's actually really helpful. It's called On Writing and World Building. So if you're interested in this, there, there, there's lots more where that came from. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, I, I don't you. really have much to contribute on this that I, that either of you couldn't say. So, Tim, I'll, I'll, I'll defer over to you on this one. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm going to give, like, a, a, like, sort of slightly different answers, that when, when people ask about world building, they often get fooled into, I, I think, a little bit of a misleading thing, which is that there's a lot of focus on kind of this realism thing, where people go, mm. well, you've got to figure out the environment you know what's the temperature and the 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 density of whatever and you know how much gravity is there and i'm like those fundamentals when you're creating kind of a fictional world are important but i kind of see them as secondary to first figuring out what do you want i'm always kind of like if you want to tell a story with floating giant with floating continents or you want to tell a story where uh you know there are these giant chasms into the earth then start with that and then build out from there you know go okay so you've got floating continents right so is there dead vegetation underneath you know the ground beneath them uh so that so because the sun never reaches it you know just start with the stuff you like and then figure out the logical consequences of that stuff you Mm -hmm. like and just accept the stuff that you like you don't necessarily need to justify it in like this hard realistic way because not even the 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 biggest world builders out there do that you Mm -hmm. know yeah, I actually... That's, that'd be my thought. Uh, I think that uh, the, the key point of what you're saying there is that... Well, well, a key point is that realism is relative to the reality of the world. There is yeah. no reason a fictional world needs to conform to the reality that we live in. If you're trying to write a yes. world that is essentially reality plus plus, then in that case, uh, it, it does make sense to work from a base of like, okay, physics, thermodynamics, you know, real world stuff. But there is no reason why your fictional world has to work the same way our world does or our universe in general. I mean, the idea that realism is some universally applicable concept is just ridiculous. Yeah. And it, listen, I, I have a slight axe to grind with this specific concept because like the other night I got another ask on said Tumblr blog where basically somebody was asking me about the thermodynamic principles of a race of metal skinned humans in my world. And I was like, why? Why is this what you choose to focus on? <laughs> anyway, it, but yeah. that's the thing. It's like, th- listen, physics and relativity and thermodynamics are all very important in our world. And, you know, on a smaller scale, uh, climate science, t- uh, tectonic stuff, all that stuff is relevant on our planet. There's no reason that stuff has to apply in the world you're writing. And there's no reason you have to hold yourself to the principles of realism that we've inferred about our world 
when you're writing a fictional universe that has no, like, bearing on our world. Uh, and actually, yeah. you know, people mostly think about fantasy, but uh, hard sci-fi is actually the place where you often see just really interesting explorations of world building uh, while, while still generally staying within the parameters of as we understand it, physics and realism. So in fantasy, you'll get a world that's like, this is a world that is flat from the perspective of some people and round from the perspective of everybody else. How does that work according to physics? It doesn't. Middle Earth was sung into existence. What are you talking about? <laughs> if you want, if you exactly. want like a, yeah. If you want a fantasy world that conforms to, to physics, you want a sci-fi world. That's, you know, you, you want to yeah, read like Larry Niven's Ring World or any of the other books in that Ring World series that I didn't read. Yeah. I would say so the I difference the difference to keep in yeah. mind is is between realism and internal consistency. And those are two yes. terms that often get conflated to, I think, the harm of a lot of worlds where people are, you know, making a world that is internally consistent, but doesn't necessarily abide by realism. And then, you know, people throw, you know, video essays for days in the comments about it. But the one thing that I will say yeah. is that there are, I think, two directions in which you can world build. One is where, you know, Red, what you were saying is like you're working towards an idea. Like, I want a sword fight in an ice castle. So you kind of start with a conclusion and work back from what you need in order to make that real yeah. or, you know, workable in your world. The other direction is, okay, my planet has two suns. And then you go from there and see what the consequences yeah. are. So, the you know, one is like working from an idea back to what necessitates mm -hmm. or what that necessitates. And the other one is like starting with an idea and then seeing what the consequences are. Yeah. That's so what I, I think like the ideas of earlier. world building by necessity and world building by consequence are, are the two main directions in which you can do it. And I think good worlds have both of those together yes, mm. because it's just a natural part of the creative process summary. that you kind of work and yeah. work in both directions. Put I will say that, that on a video a... essay and like, and subscribe <laughs> to it. I will say that there's a whole space of hard sci-fi, uh, that, uh, world builds entirely in one direction, uh, where essentially the plot is entirely incidental to how this world works. Uh, I, I briefly mentioned Larry Niven's ring world, but it's probably in my mind, like the platonic ideal of that kind of world building. It has a plot. Who cares what the plot is? The actual interesting thing about that story is the setting you created. It's ring world. Uh, Oh God, how, how deep do I want to go into this? Not too deep. I don't want to no, dominate no, the podcast. No, 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 yeah. uh, <laughs> the, 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 the really short instance is that for a while, people have been you know, speculating about uh, how you could make a spherical shell around a sun, a uh, Dyson sphere, and uh, live on the inside of it. Uh, but there's problems about that. Among other things, you wouldn't have gravity. Uh, it would be difficult to like keep the atmosphere. So uh, Larry Niven produced Ringworld, which is essentially a tiny strip of a Dyson sphere essentially taking up the orbit of the planet and you spin it around the sun and that produces centrifugal force which mimics the effects of gravity uh to counterbalance that it also keeps the atmosphere in it has huge walls around the outside of the ring that keeps the atmosphere from falling off and out into space it's got these uh because obviously it would have no dark side of the planet because it's not a planet spinning around a sun it's a ring always facing the sun so they have these panels that rotate around the sun smaller uh, in a smaller orbit, and it produces shadows of basically these intermittent bands of light and shadow to produce a day-night cycle illusion. And uh, basically, that's what he world-built. And then the uh, the story is, we just found Ringworld, and we're stuck here. What do we do? Uh, so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where you world-build from the bottom up. You're like, okay, how would I make a habitat? How would somebody make this habitat? How would that work? And then what would go wrong? Among other things, Ringworld uh, occasionally gets hit by meteors. One of them uh, is this mount produced this mountain that in the book is called Fist of God, and it actually punched a hole in the 
the surface, which means if the atmosphere could get that high, it would all be rushing out through this hole into space. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. Concepts, world building from the ground up to see what, what threats it would produce in the actual universe for your small-scale characters to interact with. That's one way to world build. It's not the only way to world build. It's not automatically the right way to world build. And that's also not about of that, realism. The opposite of that Go would ahead. be Halo, where you put a ring in space because it looks cool. And that's all I have to say about that. So It's yeah, in Halo because it was in Ring World. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Everything is derivative. It's all coming from the same thing. The Lion King ripped off uh, in the heat of the night. We can Hamlet. all, everything is from something else. Uh, but we've got more questions. Everything after Homer is just a copy paste. <laughs> you think Homer was original? Okay. <laughs> oh, Ooh, right. Deep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. The Gilgamesh poet's like, oh. <laughs> it's just like a never-ending, like, Morbius strip of who can be the most yeah. derivative of who. Somewhere out there, there's a Paleolithic cave artist who's like, Grog had first good idea. Everything downhill since then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's get a next question in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. This one comes from the pixelated poet. To everyone, what's a movie you love that you think everyone else hates? Huh. Hmm. Hmm. This is a tricky one. I don't watch a lot I, of movies. I mean, I do, but they're mostly bad. Uh, I unironically do quite like Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which is not a super well-loved, but there is actually one film which I remember immensely enjoying, even though it was incredibly panned, which was Ooh. that Three Musketeers one with the flying ships and mm. Orlando Bloom. Huh. Like, yeah, I, I like I weirdly liked it, even it. though it's trash. <laughs> apparently I, I, I mean i think that's fair uh let's hmm. see what's a bad movie like or like I, I mean i've seen a lot of bad movies where i was like this movie wasn't actually bad but you know i'm, I'm usually asking twitter like hey what's a bad <laughs> movie i should watch and people are like listen it's bad but i love it and i think you know yeah that, that kind of automatically disqualifies it because that that means not everybody hates it um hmm. as someone oh, who loves tricky. bad Gosh. movies it, there's someone who loves every movie out there you just have to find them mm -hmm. they're usually on twitter <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The worst cesspool of humanity. Yes. Yeah. yeah there was yeah. no greater hive of scum and mm. villainy. I've talked ben before Twitter. how I unironically love Spider Man 3, but that was because I saw it at the age of 11 <laughs> and am too scared to change my mind about it. Uh. I mean, okay, listen, having recently watched that movie, it's not much worse than the first two. Like, no, it, and it's that's not the that different. <laughs> I mean, the first two are fine. I'm not, oh God, take that shit out of context. And everyone's like, I can't believe you hate Spider-Man 2. No, I, I think the first two movies are fine. I, I think, you know, they're enjoyable. They're a bit campy in places, but that's part of what makes them fun. The third movie's not that different. It's just paced a little worse because they had to fit in two bad guys. Is it only two? I might be forgetting one. Technically it's yeah, three it's because two. there's Sandman, Venom, and the new Goblin. Oh God, I forgot about the new goblin. It's okay, yeah, the I new mean, goblin gets nerfed by a pipe to the face at about like mid 12. Yeah. He gets concussed <laughs> and then he gets his face blown up and then he gets stabbed. That's yeah. what I call a, a rule of three. A lot of things happened to James Franco's face in that movie. <laughs> that's just every movie. Do you think the director like, like had it out for him or something? Oh gosh. Have you um, met James yeah, Franco? That's probably all I can can summon up uh, on that question because my, my movie knowledge is, is fleeing me now that I need it most. I mean, I could just um, I read know, off Tim, do you have any, <laughs> some of the any DVD phase? titles that we've got sitting next to me if I... you want inspiration for bad movie choices. <laughs> Yay! Like, I don't really watch. I don't really watch films that much. I, yeah. The, yeah. 
Like I'm that was actually one like, thing. I, I remember at one point I, I went into a movie thinking I was going to like it, even though people say it's bad because. Uh, and the movie I'm talking about is Jupiter Ascending uh, <laughs> because I'd been informed oh, that that movie yeah. was a garbage fire. But I was also like, okay, yes. But listen, everyone's telling me like, oh, it's like a like this ridiculous like space opera with like this this like werewolf spaceman falling in love with this human every woman who's also the reincarnation of a space queen. And I was like, that sounds like the kind of stupid that is exactly up my alley. And then I watched it, and they neglected to inform me that it's also just poorly done. <laughs> like I, all of those I, concepts I would have been amazing, but no. I I have a totally similar feeling about I think it might have been done by the same guy but it's it's a film which I really really did not enjoy but I want to see a sequel of that is good and that's mm. Valerian and the City of a Thousand uh, Planets. Okay. Yeah, Valerian, I mm-hmm. I don't think it was the same people because the Wachowskis made uh, Jupiter Ascending and yeah, uh, I think if Valerian was done do by the Valerian. Wachowskis it would have been even a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Valerian oh, was in know, the same like, boat. It's like, not, yeah, uh, yeah. Valerian was Luc Besson, so no. Ah, uh, yeah, team. Valerian. It like it had such an interesting setting. It was such a pretty yes. rendered world, and it did know? nothing. It did nothing yeah, with it. They did nothing. The most they did is crash through a bunch of walls in it. I was like, that's got to be doing incredible ecological damage to these carefully separated parts of the space station. Yeah. This is like firmly what I believe determines whether or not you're going to enjoy a movie is how committed they were to its concept. Because I unironically and wholeheartedly love the live-action Speed Racer. Another Wachowski fave coming out uh, here. And I think that the reason that that and so many other movies work is because they took something completely ridiculous and just said, you know what, okay, we're doing this. We're going to treat it completely seriously. We're going to do the utmost we can to uphold our initial pitch, which is crazy CGI special effects anime adaption. And we're going to just run with that. And I think where Valyrian really fails is they had a super cool concept and no one on set really committed to it. So you've got these amazing kind of visuals and this really cool world that you're built into, but the story is kind of small within that and everything within it is almost downplaying the world that they've got going forward. I just, I hate it when yeah. a movie has something. Also, they so look bad. like, they look like siblings. Yeah, that way, too. They, they just look yeah, way that too, too much yeah, like yeah. siblings. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> the least compelling part of Valerian was the romantic superplot. Uh, but, um... <laughs> super... Yeah, well, you can tell it's a super plot because it eclipses everything else. Uh, but yeah, I, I think like with with both Valerian and with Jupiter Ascending, like they had such an interesting setting, they had such an interesting like universe they created, and then an interesting promise. Yeah, an That's, interesting promise. Yeah, but then the characters were small in it, and like I mean, just with Jupiter Ascending too, like the blocking was really weird because I think yeah. they didn't trust the audience to interpolate what was happening. I I remember the part where I was like, oh no, this movie might be bad. Actually, it was uh, uh there's a bit where like Channing Tatum McDogman is like explaining the plot to Jupiter uh, and like I guess the scene had no blocking he's just standing still talking to her and explaining like I'm a dog man from space and you're like a space princess and she's like wow dog man from space and he's like yeah dog man from space space princess Uh, anyway (laughs) so space and stuff and and those guys were aliens and she's like whoa aliens and I'm just like hmm this scene might be better if like somebody was moving <laughs> other than the camera. I don't know. It's just an idea. I, the, my last thought before we should probably switch on to another question is I don't know if this <laughs> is like still niche or if this has become a more popular opinion because like the internet is 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 very you know whimsical and and um, transient in this regard. But I really like Rogue One, yes. and there was at least a period mm. of time where a lot of people didn't. And I don't know if other people have started liking Rogue One again because the rest of the new Star Wars movies have been so crap. But like. <laughs> 
I, from the <laughs> start, and two now, really liked Rogue One, even though, like, the ensemble doesn't super work, and, no, like, they, they try to frame Jin Erso as a protagonist, and it doesn't She's super work. Not, like, I yeah. love Rogue One when you think about it as a movie about the resistance rather than a movie, or, or the rebellion. Sorry, they're so <laughs> oh, different. Yeah. When you think about it <laughs> yeah. as a movie about the rebellion rather than as a movie about Jin or about the fucking some kind of suicide squad that that ensemble becomes. Yeah, um, I think... I, yeah. I like Rogue One. I, I stand by that. I, I'm good. Rogue One slaps if you look at it as a war movie. Yes, so yeah. Rogue One yeah, does so exactly. well, but I think a lot I of the really good Marvel movies do... Sorry. Oops. I think a lot of the Marvel movies do mm-hmm. really well is the ones that are good are the ones that are good at being other things. Like, Spider-Man Homecoming is good because it's a really good teen coming-of-age movie, not because Spider-Man is in it. Rogue One is a really good, like, Mm. war, almost heist kind of movie that just happens to be set in the Star Wars Mm -hmm. universe, and I think that's, oh, oh, chef's kiss. I didn't know people didn't like that. I really thought a lot of people liked Rogue One. Well, when Rogue One first came out, most people were like, wow, that fucking slapped, and then within about a month, people were like, you know what, I I think actually maybe this movie had some problems, and I was kind of caught up in the euphoria of a good Star Wars movie uh, to to not, but like, you know, I mean... Uh, oh god whose video i I don't want to just like cite it and not rep the guy but uh i think you you told me about this blue uh it was basically Rogue One is better if you cut out a few bits. Yeah, um, it's it's a Nando V Movies video. Um, is it Nando? Yeah, it's Nando. Yeah, it's, it, our it's boy from Nando, Nando specifically um, talking about that if you cut out some of Bodie Rook's background scenes, it becomes much more interesting yeah. because there then becomes a mystery about the character rather than having every single thing spelled out for you. So um, I think it's, it's not just Bodie. Yeah. If you also cut out the earlier Darth Vader scene, could you imagine mm. how impactful oh, yeah. that scene would oh, have been if the yeah. first time we yeah. know that Darth Vader's in the movie is when the lightsaber lights up the hall? Way. It would have slapped so hard. But like, you know, that the movie we great. got was fine. It's just if you cut out a few bits, it would have been amazing. Yeah. Um so, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I mean Rogue One's I just not remember bad. Looking, I do think like, that the I Star remember, Wars universe. Oh, I was just I was just saying I, I remember it like looking and feeling very different to anything I'd mm-hmm. seen before. And I think yeah. just that automatic like premise kind of like change that I hadn't really felt in a long while, mm-hmm. you know. That was sort of made me go, oh yeah, finally something feeling fresh, and yeah. you know, I I still I still like it. Like I I I don't have any strong interest in the Star Wars universe that really, mm. but I I enjoyed that. You are lucky. I uh, <laughs> I, I want to um not to not to immediately dive into Star Wars what we've just discussed how we're not really invested. I think that the interesting thing about Star Wars is that every story that gets told in it is by necessity a completely different kind of story. So. The original trilogy is a standard sword and sorcery in space hero story. It is a hero story. It's got a few protagonists. They change the world. They save the day. They defeat the bad guy and the empire crumbles and they win. And then they did the prequels. Now there's a funny thing about prequels to hero stories. Almost every prequel to a hero story is by necessity a tragedy because in a hero story, the world starts off busted. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. The hero shows up and saves the world. So a prequel is usually breaking the world. Like, um, Oh man, unfortunately they canceled it, but they were doing this with uh, the Netflix show Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, the prequel to The Dark Crystal, which was like this semi-lighthearted Muppety movie about, you know, little elf people saving the day from evil bird people. But in the prequel, it's like, well, we got to explain how we go from there's a thriving elf people population to there's only two. There's only two. Everyone else is dead. It's going to go badly. It's a foregone conclusion. It's a tragedy. The Star Wars prequel is exactly the same. The minute they're like, we're going to make the main character, the future Darth Vader, you're like, oh shit. Yeah, And then when they do, well, they didn't really know what to do with the sequel. You can tell, uh, which is why it's not really a hero <laughs> movie or a tragedy or anything, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, but, it's just remember the originals. Yeah, d- d- don't you remember good? them? 
Uh, yeah, and then, that makes these also, good. Yeah, but speaking of, but also you're yeah. stupid for remembering the originals. Yeah, remembering the originals. Uh, we but, also sorry, should uh, remember. Uh, are we originally here to answer questions? So we should probably get back to the Discord no, no, questions. I, no, oh, I need yeah, to sorry, make I'm a sorry. point. I oh, need to make a point about Rogue One. Point. <laughs> and then, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, because the point is, like, it, it, you know, in the background of the hero story of the original is the tragedy of the prequels, but also in the background of the hero story of the original is the war story of the rebellion. And I think that Rogue One is the only time we've ever actually seen Star Wars flesh out that particular other facet of the universe. Like, no, this is a war. There's a lot of sacrifices. Sometimes the only way to win is to smash your spaceship into the other spaceship and kill everybody on board. And, and like, you know, Mandalorian is also kind of showing another facet mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, in the background of all this is also the Wild West aspect of empty space, where there's a lot of empty space out there. And and I think that some of the best Star Wars spin-offs are the ones that explore the sides of the universe that are implied by the original story but not focused on. And they really reframe mm. your understanding of that original story that was told. And that's all not I have to say about that. How did Han Solo get his name or whatever it was? Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I didn't mind Solo, honestly. Solo was like, okay, cool. We know that there's a criminal empire. So that means this makes sense. There would be heists. There would be, you know, dramatic high-speed train robberies and all that stuff. If anything, the only part of that movie I didn't care about was that it was Han Solo. <laughs> Which I guess does mean there was a fundamental failure, but still. <sighs> We'll talk about Star Wars more, I'm sure, in the future. But for now, let's move on to a question from (laughs) Phantom Gamer. For Red, Blue, and Tim, what was the moment that you realized how big your audience and influence had become, whether it be getting recognized or a heartfelt letter from a fan? Hmm. Well, Red, for us, we kind of had an inflection point in our junior year of college where your Eros and Psyche video took off. And then we went from yeah. like, like what was it, like 23,000 subscribers to 100 in the span of about a month. We've that was like, couple, oh boy, yeah. okay, we're in it now. Um, but it, beyond that... Um, I think I, like for us, especially this year, and I don't want to get specific because I think some of these we're not actually allowed to talk about, but we have had the occasional like person or group that is far bigger than we ever expected to know about <laughs> us sending us an email like, hey, we're interested in stuff. And it's like, huh? Oh, no, you know what? I know exactly when it happened. It was when Brandon Sanderson recommended our channel on his podcast. That was when I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. That's the moment where I was like, Jesus Christ, we're really in it now. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's really into YouTube, by the way. Like, he knows a lot of, like, channels. He's referred he is, to a lot of people. He is very in touch with the YouTube space. <laughs> what a magical man yep. he is! Yeah, I remember like when we were when that was happening, like like when somebody mentioned it, and when I listened to the podcast and got to the bit where it was like, "Wow, yeah, no, that's that's our channel. There's no mistake. That's our link." <laughs> I mean, I read through the transcript and I was like, "Maybe it was a different Brandon. I don't know." <laughs> and I was like looking at this, and then I slowly looked over at the copy of Way of Kings that I had next to my bed, and I was like, "Yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy." <laughs> so. Yeah, for us, yeah. I think that was the moment where it's like, wow, not only are we, like, kind of popular, but we're being used as a resource by actual professionals who are bigger and cooler than we'll ever be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually, I've got, like, a similar story to that. Like, I found that um, Brandon Sanderson's YouTube channel, like, referred to my videos, like, in the cards. Mm. Yo. And uh, oh. he's like, yeah, there's a video on fight scenes, and then it referred to my video. Which was pretty cool, because that's, like, a video I'm really proud of. I think, for me, the one where I was like, oh, hey, I'm... It's not really like, wow, I've succeeded, necessarily. I'm sorry, I sort of forgot what the wording of the question was. But I did a video on the complex stuff around featuring mental illness and fiction. And that was like, Mm. that's my best video. And that did really well. And a lot of people 
Like it's 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 just done incredibly well for me as a video in terms of how it's represented me as a creator mm-hmm. across the internet, and yeah. I've seen it in a lot of different places. I think for me, it's that was like when I don't know. I I sort of felt like I I was recognized in the way I sort of wanted to be recognized. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really great video. That one, and um, it's obviously not you know they're not a pair, but um, it goes really well when you watch it alongside the Azula Psychology video. Those mm. are just like yeah. mm, bangers only. They're so yeah. well done. <laughs> yeah, oh, that video is, is insane. Uh, yeah, no, that one, that one's three million or something now. Yeah, really? I don't know. Well, I, Tim, we couldn't have you on the show without having at least one Avatar question come up, so we're gonna do our obligatory. <laughs> Final question, uh, talking about Avatar The Last Airbender here from AHS565451. To the whole crew, <laughs> if you had the ability to bend like in the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, what would you bend? For example, I would choose to be a waterbender because the earth is about 70 to 75% water. Ooh. I'll let you guys go first. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll, I'll take the basic bitch answer of firebender. I think that would be yeah. pretty neat. What? No, Why I'm fire? Well, listen. It's like listen, I, it's it's, ob- I, it's not... objectively the least useful. Well, listen. Yes, but uh, here's the thing. Uh, this is the same approach I have when like building characters for games. It's not about being powerful. It's about having interesting character potential, and I think having vulnerabilities and weaknesses <laughs> makes that more interesting. It's not about being the strongest I want person. Weaknesses. On the <laughs> yeah, you know, it's about having interesting weaknesses. And besides, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with firebending. It's not like you can't be outclassed by any random schmo with a bucket of water, but that's not the point, you know? You can be outclassed <laughs> by the rain. <laughs> you, yeah, or, you know, being in cold locations, snow, just weather in general. True. But the point yeah. is, like, if, it, if anything, firebending has the one strength that you don't need a pre-existing supply of your, be- of your element to, to mm. use it. So essentially, you're in the I get knocked down, but I get up again camp. You know, someone can put out your fire, but you can make more fire. And I think that's interesting. You know, I think, I think that gives you kind of a, a little bit of an edge. And also, it's, it's one of the more temperamental elements to work with. There's a lot like you need to be pretty emotionally stable to really get the most of it. And, and I, I am personally a big fan of that trope where when the character's emotions go wild their superpowers start acting up i just love when that happens so this isn't about like what i think would be like the best option this is what i think i would choose <laughs> and you know I, I said it without even thinking it through for 15 seconds so you know it came from the heart so you know. just like a firebender you know <laughs> yeah i'm all about that emotional stuff <laughs> bravo red have a fire flag. um for <laughs> me whenever i take those those dumbass buzzfeed quizzes or whatever about like what element are you i usually get air but i think in practice i would enjoy being being a waterbender the most because just like with with water there's a ton of it you can use it very well you can blood bend if you really want to ruin someone's day but also just <laughs> the ice stuff that you can do i think is really really cool and that opens up a lot of other options even though it's probably like a lot more energy intensive to in the process of bending like go through the like the phase change and you know turn water into ice i feel like that 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 takes a lot of effort you can burn someone by turning that water into steam Boom! You can so allowed? much you can do. Wait, is that allowed? I don't know if that's allowed. Airbenders can take the air out of violence. people's lungs in Korra. I feel like steam should be fine. <laughs> well, but that doesn't mean um, they can change the temperature of it. I feel like no, that's no, you know well, firebender well, No, territory. but if, if waterbenders can bend ice, then steam has to be on the menu. What if you guys combine? Well, like, wouldn't it have to be that's... like a firebender and a waterbender working together to make steam? Okay, fair, fair also, enough. Fair also, enough. we're making we're making the classic mistake we were talking about just earlier with the world building. We're trying to apply reality to a fictional <laughs> mm-hmm. fantasy world. That's it's valid. like, oh, well, waterbenders can turn water to ice so naturally they could turn it to steam or maybe not they maybe they can just take temperature out of it i don't know 
Uh, well, anyway, I think that there, water there is really there cool. is actually a canonical answer to this, but uh, I won't go into it. <laughs> okay, okay. <gasps> what? So, no! Yeah, no! I, no! <laughs> I, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that red chose fire and I chose water <laughs> in keeping with our, our color branding. Very but thematic. Tim, what would yeah, your answer yeah. be? I, I This is like purely practical because I don't think this necessarily fits my personality, but I reckon I would really like to... to I reckon I could do the most good and, and be the most practical using Earth because I could like create mm. little models that I can use in like games out of stone <laughs> and like, Aww. you know, like create like, like little chess pieces. Like I want I just so I so want like a really cool chess piece or just like being able to like build houses or like build structures. Just that'd be really cool. Or air would then I could fly. Yeah. Mm. I'm just imagining yeah, like yeah, if Ira was an earthbender, uh, if Ira was an earthbender, he would cheat so much at Pi Show by just <laughs> making little tiles <laughs> out of Earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is gosh. that over there? Boop. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I gotta go firebender, but not for any practical reason, just because it's cool. Like, you know? Yeah. It's very yeah. aesthetically yeah, no, pleasing, aesthetic. and I'm here for that. But, uh, yeah. It's the good valid. stuff. And you can also fly if you're good enough at it. I mean, yeah. like, like rocket feet and stuff. Unless you burn your ass and or shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not like I'm a not actually pack. aware of any like, firebenders that can that can fly apart from during um, the comet. Azula doesn't actually manage to fly. Yeah. She just manages to project herself into a wall. Yeah, okay. you're right. Yeah, Azula and Ozai are only flying during the comet. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. If you get a bunch of earthbenders together, could you create a comet? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're gonna well, get I think the difficulty uh, is that I think you'd need metal benders because uh, when she's okay. using the the comet metal, it's you know it's metal. That's true. I love I, this is getting off the rails a little bit. I just love the scene where, where Toph learns how to metal bend, where they're yeah. like, even you can't bend metal, and Toph's like, the fuck I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just tell a 12 year old girl that she can't do something? You've got yeah. five minutes, Tops. <laughs> And then they starved in a metal box. <laughs> I mean, they were probably fine. They were on a major road or like yeah, a semi-major road. But anyway, I think that might be uh, a good enough place to uh, uh, to call it. Um, yeah. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be on our podcast today. We were we yeah. were thrilled uh, at this opportunity. As soon as we were uh, were thinking about guest episodes, it's like, okay, no, when do we get Tim on the show? <laughs> <laughs> How quickly no, can like, we justify oh, I was, getting I, Tim on the show? I saw this and I was like, oh, I so want to be on it. But you can't like ask to be on, on the podcast, you know, super early. This is so much fun. You can always have me on anytime. Oh, fantastic. You know, you want, so um, Beautiful. for those we of you part who two of want that story. to, uh, yeah. Uh, yes, I'll get you that story. To, uh, <laughs> see more of Tim's channel, hop on over to Hello Future Me on YouTube. We'll have a link in the show notes. Um, but also uh, stay tuned for December 4th and 5th, where we will uh, be popping on uh, the stream to uh, play, some, play some Zelda and have a grand old time. We'll maybe try to get you distracted and, and go find the dragons instead of Woo! actually completing the oh, game. God. Who knows? No promises. Um, Red, uh, I just want to do puzzles. Oh, me? Oh, no. Uh, let me just pull up the notes real quick. Sorry, I was noshing on a cupcake. I thought you were going to handle it. Uh, no, um, I, what, what always happens is I, I inadvertently just like ram through the outro because I, right, I right. get like... I get into it and then I just don't stop talking, but no, technically right. the outro is your domain. <laughs> it is. I got it. All right. <clears throat> Thank you all so much for listening. And if you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, go check out our channel on YouTube. Want to ask a question for the next pod? Follow the link in the description to, t uh, to, to ask. Sorry, I got to follow the script as it is. To, to ask <laughs> OS pod channel on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air. Until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And I've been Tim. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast brought to you by ASMR for this last bit. Oh, God. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back with more potty goodness on November 25th, but fear not, more OSP content is always available on our YouTube, Patreon, and Discord. Check the links in the description to head to any of those sites. If you've got a question for the pod, be sure to drop them in the Ask OS Pod channel on Discord. And to support the show and help keep the spirit of Heimlein from sharing any more deep thoughts, join OSP on Patreon. Only you can prevent galaxy brain takes.